everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I'm joined. It's funny to be back after so many weeks away. Hey, mom. My mom's here. This is episode 353, and Dylan Mingas is back, and he's going to be talking to us about some new stuff. Dylan, I want you to give him a little bit of background and when you started your business. So I'm the guy that got struck by lightning and likes to make art. That's the shortest possible version. A slightly longer version is I've been a corporate advertising guy for a long time. And about five years ago, I missed making stuff. I missed drawing and creating because I was in corporate design leadership, which was lucrative and sometimes fun and always rewarding, always beneficial and always a good learning experience. But I just missed making. So I started Mengus Design about five years ago or just a couple weeks shy of our fifth anniversary. And I did that with the encouragement of some great people, one of whom is, is listening today, Jeremy Slagle, who said for years, dude, go solo. And I was like, no, no way. So I did. So Mangus Design primarily focuses on identity design. And once we initiate projects like that for a client, what comes out of that are a lot of different things. Logo marks, word marks, the signatures of those two things together, the identity system around that, the brand experience, which might include murals or illustration or lettering. So lots of little things can deliver from that. But identity design is our bread and butter. Okay. So when, so five years or a little shy of five years, is that we said? Okay. And then you explained already what you do for those businesses, but what does your ideal client look like? Cause so are you still doing big businesses or are you doing something different? And are you still at all doing any advertising or is part of the brand, the whole thing? Yeah, it's primarily when I say identity design, I say that because it helps focus the conversation on a single thing. And I've learned that the hard way. And again, this is part of inviting people into your life to speak into your life. Uh, I'm going to mention Jeremy probably a few more times in this podcast and this webcast, but uh, people like him who have said, hey, here's the thing that I see and, and how can we focus that? And so because of that, I've realized that identity design is the one thing that I do for them. And to your question, the them or the ideal client are people that value a couple different things. The first thing they value is being different. And you think everybody wants to be different. And the reality is, I think everybody does want to be unique and special and, and ultimately be loved for that. But in terms of a business focus, it's hard for some people to see that as a real investment. So that's the first thing is that they value being different. And then the second thing is that they really value things that are handcrafted. And that's where us being a small shop is really what separates us from the larger agencies. We don't take a ton of projects every year and every one of them is special. That's our ideal client. Okay, so there was uh, something else that we talked about that was also your ideal client. And I just want to make sure we mention it because I think it's so in alignment with you is that you like people who go against the flow, who maybe are in that corporate, but they're really these lone cowboys. Do you remember yeah. us talking about that now? I do. And so going back to your question a few minutes ago, are we still doing corporate? The answer is yes. And, and so between the corporate and between corporate and mom and pop shops and some of the stuff in between, almost every single client that we have is exactly that. They have that. I think it goes back to that they want to be different that parallels with the independent spirit, the lone wolf. And what's fun about seeing that come to life in the last five years is that in some of those corporate engagements, I've got people inside those corporate environments. Okay, look, I've got a budget. I've got this project and I want to come to you directly. I know you're a small agency and that's why I want to come to you because I want to do something that I really can't do in the broader scope of things. It's a smaller focus and I want you to handle it. And 
I'm like, great, let's do it. So it's fun to, to be approached by those folks. But yeah, that's the thread. It's the lone wolf, the independent. But is it because you've been part of, you were in the Marines and you also were in, been in corporate world. So they know that you really stand out on your own and you're not going to go them, take them down this path just to make, to spend their money. You're really looking at it and you do come up with these crazy ideas. I sat next to you at Creative South one year and you just drew the entire time. I'm taking notes and you're just drawing. And I'm like, I am just, I couldn't even pay attention sometimes because I was just watching you draw. It was like my own four hour tutorial with Dylan and he had an iPad before anybody else or way before me. And it was just amazing. And I loved sitting next to you. And I was really glad I got to do that. It's, that was how you learn. And, and I just think because you've been in it, they feel a camaraderie with you and they know what they're going through. And I think that there's, that's, there's something to that about how you're able to understand what they're going through, what the higher ups are going to ask. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I, and I know we're speaking to some designers here, probably a lot of designers, and I think this may be a good place to, to talk about this quickly is that I think it's really important for designers, whether they go to school or not, that they take a job in some level of agency, whether it's small, medium, or large, ideally medium to large. But I really think that's important for people to do because it you a unique perspective about a lot of things, about scope and structure and budgeting and, and timing. and But what's really important is it gives you a really good picture into human dynamics. And I mean that in a good and a bad way, but you can learn from the experience that you can bring back to clients later on your own if you choose to go on your own or another agency or whatever. I can't encourage people enough to, let me just put this differently. I think the, the thing I, I would discourage anybody from is getting out of school or whether it's high school or, or finishing a degree or whatever and saying, I'm going to go on my own. I think it's a really risky maneuver because you don't have experience with all those human dynamics. And for me, having done that for so many years, it's a huge part, going back to what you said, Diane, it's really a huge part uh, benefit for me when I sit down with clients because I, I know what those conversations are like, is including when they get ugly. I've been in ugly. And it's just the long-term experience that I can bring to clients now and say, I hear you. I can help you through that. And one of the other ways that comes into play now with the clients that I take is uh, a couple things. One, I don't take fire jobs. I don't take, um, meaning I, I don't take uh, rush jobs. 911 calls. Yeah, I don't do it. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm elite. I just know from experience those are never worth it because I've done so many of them in the past. So that's one criteria. The other criteria that I always hope for, and most of the time it's true, is I always want a single stakeholder in that project. And that goes back to the independent, the lone Mm -hmm. wolf. That's very easy for me to find, it seems like, over and over. But I'll ask folks, tell me about your stakeholders. Who's out there that that we haven't heard about yet? Tell me all of them. I want to understand who who are the players here. That's just me. Okay. So far, so good. Five years running. I haven't had any rogue stakeholders to show up out of nowhere like I have in the past in in my other agency life. But it's a really important question to ask up front simply because if there are rogue stakeholders in the mix or if there are even known up front multiple stakeholders, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people, it's, I'll just say it, it's often a train wreck somewhere in the process because you have way too many people, way too many egos, 
We all have them. Everybody trying to weigh in and feel like they're heard, which is the most human thing of all. So it's, it's really refreshing. It's a blessing to be able to be in the position I am now and say, I want a single stakeholder in that relationship. So I just want to bring up some, what some people are saying in the chat. Now I know Andre's in Portugal. He's uh, South African originally. And Mark Hardy's also South African. He's still living in South Africa in Durban, which I have another friend, I think in Durban recently moved. Anyway, her name's Emma. But Andre worked in a whole nother industry I don't think he'll care. If you do, you can just type rooster in the chat really fast, Andre. He said, okay, it's cool. But he had another industry and then he came to design. He found it. He's always he was making t-shirts. He did things like this. That w- It wasn't completely out of the scope, but what he had done professionally. I think sometimes we do something professionally, just like even you in the Marines. I'm sure you weren't a designer in the Marines, were you? Okay. No. Oh, this is just wasted time or this is wasted. I, I, finally found what I wanted to do. But actually, Andre learned a ton about people and talking to people and getting what he needed from people and negotiations. He learned so much. And now he is at a better place business-wise because he understands business. And now it's just some skills to get, but he already has a lot of skills. Anyway, just a lemon on you, Andre. And, And I think Robert, he said, um, from Miami, he said, I agree. I went the solo route a year out of college and felt like it set me back. I lacked mm. the experience. It's, you don't know what you don't know. Anyway, a kid I talked to recently, she was like, oh, yeah, I've done it all. And I'm like, oh, didn't you just graduate from college? She's like, yeah, I've done it all. And I'm like, what is all then? Because I haven't even done it all and I'm 47. That's the only job I've ever had as a designer. Anyway, look, you got something to teach us, don't you? All right. You want to jump into your deck? I just wanted to make sure we got that out of the way of, and I have already written tons of notes already, how to have a single stakeholder. What would you say if somebody had six people? You'd be like, I don't think we can work together. Yeah. So I have an answer for that because again, I've dealt with that in the past five years here with Mingus Design. And it's simply that I can pull up that job. I don't have it in my deck, but easy to find the, the thing. If you go on my Instagram, it's on there. It's, it's a big wall that says charge on it for AEP, which is a local power, big local power company. And in that case, we had multiple stakeholders. And I knew that very early on before the proposal was even cooked. I asked the question and said, okay, thanks. Helps to know that. And so what I set as an expectation, that's the important phrase here. I set the expectation that I'm looking forward to working with all of you guys and even including some of the creative roundtables that we're going to do to get to the concept that we're going to get on the wall. But ultimately, I need to understand who is the final decision maker in this relationship because there needs to be one. Please help me understand who that is and we'll keep moving and I'll get a proposal to you guys. And that's who got the proposal. That's just one way to handle it. But I can promise those listening who haven't dealt with it, it's a very, it may be uncomfortable to ask that question, but it's a very important question to ask. It's an honest question and it will save you so much headache down the road if you just get those expectations set up front. Yeah. And sometimes it's the accountant that's not even at the table that's going to mm-hmm. pull the plug because they don't want to spend the money on this and they have a their own agenda. He needs to be in the room too, or she needs to be in the room. Yeah. All right. And before I sound like the advice hound here, which Chris Doe mentioned recently, the advice monster, I, let me say up front, I mean, I, I share this stuff in, from two vantage points. One is I have experienced a lot of these things painfully, but like you said a few minutes ago, Diane, I'm always learning. My proposals are constantly changing and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I don't want to get stuck in a rut. Like here's the proposal, love it or leave it. I'm like, no, t- I, I say in my proposal, I consider these working documents, you guys. Some things are pretty set, but there are things here that we can talk about before you sign this. So please reach out to me with questions. Help me make this a better thing so that the relationship is good from day one. But you're also coming at it as somebody who's had experience, but there's stuff left to learn. Yeah. But you also are willing 
to share your knowledge, which I think is also goes to your heart. So thank you. But he's got a new tool and he's going to show us this and share his screen and do his presentation. Not little. It's fairly brief, but if anybody's interested, what I'm using is a new beta called uh, for an app called, that's how it's spelled, M-H-M-M. It's in, like I said, it's in beta, but the beta works really well. And if you guys are interested, look it up online. It, it allows you to work seamlessly with Zoom and other streaming platforms to customize the presentation. He's seen promos for it. And Doc says he's been curious about, we have Portugal, Bermuda, South Africa, a whole bunch of places in the United States. I'm trying to just make sure Adrian's here. Hey, Adrian's also in Bermuda. Hey, Mark, you and Adrian should be friends. Okay. I think just for fun, we'll go and set this to uh, Star Wars mode. So there we go. Turn the opacity down a notch. I'm Princess Leia. I love it. You should have had buns. Should have had my buns. I want to talk about ideas and in a couple different ways, primarily how I get to ideas with what's that approach look like. And I think you'll see it's remarkably straightforward and simple. Again, the learning of a long time of doing this. And then I also want to show some examples so that it doesn't just seem like a a bunch of text on a screen. The first thing I want to tell you guys that I think is really important is that design schools have done us a disfavor. Basically, what what I found in the last many years of doing this is that design schools have taught us to grab a piece of work and say, oh, that's a white piece of paper that's not showing up. Anyway, we hold something up and we go, this is my concept. And what I found is that the unfortunate truth of that is that there's no concept there. There's a nice piece of design. It's beautifully designed, hopefully, and all the tenets of design are, all the boxes are checked, but there's no idea behind the design. It's just nice design. And that's kind of weird. I see it even with the tangent. Restaurants will say, we have, a, we have a restaurant concept. And I go, okay, what's the concept? Especially if it's my neighborhood. We're going to open a, a pizza concept. And I go, okay, what's the concept? What's pizza? Is it some kind of funky ingredient for the idea? Or was it served in a wicker basket by uh, people dressed? like gnomes. That'd be fun. That'd be an interesting concept. No, it's pepperoni and cheese. And I think that's it. That's the, that's okay. So technically it's an idea, but let's be honest. Do we need another restaurant concept with pepperoni and cheese? I think you get my point. We just watered down the, not only watered down the word, but we're actually using the word incorrectly with, we're presenting what we call a concept and there's no idea behind it. We really have an obligation to step up with our, as, in a way that's going to serve our clients and, out, of course, serve the, the people that are seeing the things that we're making beyond those clients. I don't mean to make it like a wag your finger lecture here about that, but it's, I think it's really important that we as designers just understand and sell what we're, accurately sell what we're doing. Sometimes I will tell clients that, look, this is a design. Here's an example. Sometimes I do lettering pieces for folks and it's just a nice piece of lettering and I'm grateful to have that business. But the reality is there's no concept behind it per se. There's an appropriate style that's applied to it and a tone that matches the whatever the lettering is saying. And those things are critically important, I think. But there's no idea behind it per se. I hope that makes sense. So if you're talking about concept, you're talking about more like a theme, something that would be drawn out or it's more conceptual, like you're going all Star Wars and it's going to be that sort of theme. Because I know what you're saying with concepts, like, oh, here's idea one is really what they should be saying. Here's my idea. And this is just, it's a pizza shop, but it's not, it doesn't have a theme or really a conceptual underlying that's throughout the whole thing. Yeah, tell you what, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to show examples. That might be more helpful. Here's the thing that I did that, is obviously the phrase be here now. So I could have just done this as just lettering out the word be here now. And if it's done in a nice 
cursive style like this or italic or something that feels nice because it's a nice thing to say. It's a contemplative phrase, be here now. And I did this because I was wrestling. I'm still always wrestling with the idea of being uh, undistracted and focused in, in one place. However, there's an idea here that said, I said, I asked, what if I did the type starting at the top of the beater? You can see it. What if that line never stopped and this whole thing was one continuous line all the way on the design? That's the visual idea that reinforces this idea of just staying focused in one thing. So again, um, really simple. Here's another one. I asked myself when I was doing this little type piece and illustration thing, what if I could just, I could say goodbye summer in a typeface that felt like maybe it was sad or contemplative or something. But what if I took a cassette tape and the tape getting pulled out of the cassette tape, some of you are, have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, this is a throwback thing I did. But what if the cassette tape came out and spelled goodbye summer? And again, it's all happens to be mostly one continuous line, but the essence of that. So again, a little extra concept or idea built into that instead of just pretty lettering. Another one, you guys that know my work might have seen, this was an illustration that ended up being used for our Making Midwest conference and then got picked up by French paper, which I don't have a sample in front of me. But anyway, so again, I could have done a straight illustration of Draplin. A lot of people do it. They're fun to do. But I thought, what if, you guys are catching that common phrase now, what if the hair of his beard made the word Draplin? So again, I added a little extra layer, a little visual concept to that beyond just a straight illustration. And then I thought, what if the words Making Midwest, the conference he was speaking at, what if that kind of came across his shoulders and felt stalks of corn or, or grass or something, things common to the, the Midwest? And then one more layer, I thought, Draplin's really into this the cosmos, and I am too, and he's always talking about the cosmos. And then I thought, what if we cut a portal through his hat as like a window into outer space, and then did a little constellation of Draplin Design Company, DDT, with this little connected constellation. Third layer of idea that made it a lot more fun. When you look at it, the benefit is you get the, you get this kind of see those layers and you get to connect those dots, you the user, and then you feel like smarty pants. And that's the fun part. There's that value thing that comes into it. Okay, another one. This was for High Pokey here in Columbus, Ohio. And they already had the Ohio spelled out as O-H-A-I for their High Pokey name. Oh, and they asked me to do a longboard. And I thought, okay, I could, again, I could just do some cool looking design thing and that'd be okay. But what if we had a, an idea baked into it? The idea was, well, since they're using raw fish, what would it look like to chop the fish and then where the fish gets cut, those become the O's of Ohio. Pretty straightforward. Maybe grosses somebody out, but that's the reality of what they make. Again, an extra layer of idea there that makes it more valuable to the viewer, to them as a client. Again, I'm going through these really fast, but this was a wall I did last year. That's my wife sitting there. So I was asked to do a wall. I had no parameters around what to do. I chose this wall because I like painting and I like painting on incredibly difficult to paint. And I'm a freak. But anyway, this thing was extra challenging because of the surface, but it was also challenging because there's a window, obviously. Obviously, there's a door. You can't see it. There's a door where the E is. And I thought, what can I put on this wall that would be simple, a hopeful, uplifting message? Uh, and so I decided to do love. And is that concept? No, it's not. It's just the word love. But I thought, what if, oh, wait. So the other parameter, the other design challenge or the condition of this piece was where my wife is sitting, there's a chair. There's this metal chair bolted to the wall and it ain't coming off. And I thought, okay, so what if I drew love so that as you sit in the chair, you're cradled by the word love. You're cradled by the L. So cradled by love kind of a thing. Oh, 
I thought it was kind of fun. Anyway, so adding that little extra layer into that stuff can really make things more visually interesting. And in this case, physically engaging because you get to sit in the chair, people took pictures of this, posted it on social and all that. So going back to the corporate stuff, this company is big corporate. They're an energy company down in the Carolinas called Cogentrix. And this was a case where a really cool guy inside the company came to me and said, hey, his name was Rick. And Rick said, I've got this budget. I want to do this internal campaign. Can you help me develop a campaign from the identity and then through some of the additional tactics that share the message. I said, sure. So in doing the identity, you'll notice that if you can see it on screen, it's probably really small, but Cogentrix has a little lightning bolt in their, in their logo. And so as I was drawing things for the campaign, trying to figure out, okay, what's the logo mark look like? I did the logo, I'm sorry, the word mark, no regrets for the campaign and customized that type a little bit. But when I was drawing that, the logo mark, which became these two people, I thought, wait a second, what if, there it is again, what if the lightning bolt shape could fit in there in between them is the negative space and be the same lightning bolt that they use in their logo. So that's what we did. So what you're looking at are just some lockups where I've got the signature. Again, just to explain that, if nobody's ever heard that. This is old school, but I find it really valuable for clients. For me, the icon is the logo mark. I call it the logo mark. I spell it all in one word and Apple tells me I'm spelling it wrong and I don't care. The logo mark is the icon, the graphic thing. The word mark is the business name. Here's a tip. Every single business in the world that I can think of needs a word mark. Not every business needs a logo mark. But if you can design both, that's pretty fun. Those things locked up together are what I call the signature. And that's not me making that up. It's an old school term, but it still works. The signature are, it can be, let me just jump ahead here. So the signature, here's some other examples of how we use this thing. I'll get out of the way. So as you can see over there in the bottom right, the signature is, again, the logo mark, the people in that circle or a square, it doesn't matter. The logo mark with the word mark. And then underneath that, you've got a couple examples of how that signature can incorporate maybe a tagline, bringing safety all the way home, and then maybe a URL in that signature too. So anyway, all to say, there's an idea baked into this thing, and that's really important because when that user sees that and goes, oh, wait a second, that's the icon for, and that's the fun of it. You give them that little reward and they find that little treasure, if it, that makes it sound really important, but they find that little thing and it's fun. Okay, I'm gonna blast through these, really get out of the way here. These are all idea-based identities. These are, I think it's fair to say these are mostly, most of these are signatures, right? We've got a word, a logo mark and a word mark. And I, I think I'm not gonna go through all of them. I'm just gonna talk about a couple of them. One of my favorite ones from uh, Mingus, these are not all Mingus design to be clear. IRMS down here is really, old work. But one of my favorite ones from a Mangus design project is the Lundberg one above me. So you've got a logo mark there with an interesting visual. Conceptually, it's about two horses. This is the artist and the designer. This is not my work. This is, I'm sorry, the concept wasn't mine. Andrew Lundberg already had that idea and he'd already painted that before. So what he asked me to do is he said, take my two horse concept and let's make this a, a modern identity, really clean this up. So I drew, after a lot of iterations, we developed this two horse icon in a very clean, modern style. And then underneath that made the word mark. Both of those are conceptual. And the reason is, if you look at Lundberg, you've got, just like the horses, you have a mirrored D and B. And I had to find a typeface that felt like it could do that appropriately. So the D and the B mirror each other, just like the horse shapes mirror each other. And the other reality of this is, the way, the, the way this is designed, that D and B fit nicely into the negative space under the horse, but these two elements also work very well separately. The horse can live on the left side of the Lundberg type and it can live above it. So this is again, part of building a flexible identity system. Okay, I won't go over the rest of these. I, I hope they should be if I'm doing my job fairly clear uh, that there's something conceptual about it, like the hook of the fishing company for Lunker. The L becomes the hook, the dot of the I on Beehive becomes the hole for the Beehive where the bees go in, amplifier, 
becomes personified with this eyeball looking speaker, etc. Ohio GG is Ohio Gravel Grinders. It's a bike group here in Ohio. Okay, so those are some samples of where I hope that it's more clear now when I say do we need to do more than just make a nice design. Let's make stuff that, that has to dig a little deeper and rewards that person with something that's visually conceptual in nature so that there's more value in that thing that we make for not only your client, but more importantly, the people on the end of this thing that see it. Okay, maybe the next thing to jump right into is how do we get there? How do I get people to come up with these ideas? This is so straightforward, but I got to tell you, there's a catch because you probably expect me to put that word up there. Oh, ask questions. Okay, everybody says that. Here's the thing that I see that I think is really important for all of us to think about. You and I live in a culture that says we have to have a snappy answer within two seconds for every time we're approached with a question. All of us. And I blame Google. So we can all blame Google. It's not our fault. It's Google's fault. Fine. Okay. But seriously, that's the culture we live in. You have to have an answer right now. And that's a crazy place to live. We can facilitate that tension because we have the power on and our phones respond and we, most of us have broadband and all that. It's just not a healthy place for us to be. So when I put this obvious word up here, you can approach a client project and do a lot of pre-digging thanks to Google about the client and things that they know or believe in, values and all those kind of things. But this ask part of it, this first layer is where you really start to lean into that person and show them that you truly care about them, that you have empathy for their situation, that you want to understand who they are. And it's hard work. It's way harder than Googling this. And that's why we don't do it. Same here. I have to really work at this. And of course, layered with that is something that's even more difficult is listening when you ask the question. How many of us ask questions and don't really want to hear the answers? I've been accused of this by a good friend of mine, Chris, who said to me years ago, when you ask me a question, I feel like you've already got the answer. You just want some confirmation. And he was right. So this is a talk all by itself. And I'm so I won't stay there too long because I'll get uncomfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. But hey, seriously, this is, uh, this is the hardest part that comes after the uh, ask. So moving on from that, when I'm asking these questions and listening for these answers, this is a question that it's going to happen a lot at the beginning, the why questions. Why do you guys do what you do for a living? Why did you start the company? And I don't mean from a business sense. What was the spark? Did it happen 20 years ago? The why questions. And you have to truly put on wear your empathy hat in a genuine way because otherwise you're going to be that irritating child like, mom, why? And you're just going to do a bunch of whys and they'll be like, oh boy, this guy's irritating. So if you're really actively listening to that person, the why questions will probably come pretty naturally the more you do them. Because you're listening, you'll know what that next question is. You'll be listening so well, that guy will say, A, B, C, and D happen. And you'll say, but with that, because of this thing that you just said, and you'll repeat it back to them, why did that approach feel like the right thing to do for you? You hear where I'm going? Again, this is a whole separate talk. And Chris Doe, who I mentioned before at the beginning, does a great job of talking about these kind of conversations. I highly recommend listening to his stuff. But why? the why questions are really important. And so once you get the why questions, you end up with a pretty good pile of things to sort out. Lots of pieces and parts. And if you have a monstrous budget and can do research and get really detailed information about even more of the pieces and parts, people and those kind of things, which is a fantastic thing to do if you've got a budget for it. But if you don't, you're going to have a fairly finite pile of information. You're going to have information about their business, their values, things they like, maybe some visual direction because you've gone, you've bounced some of that stuff off of them. You're going to have a lot of things to look at. And this is where you go to the next set of questions, the what if questions. And you've already heard me say that when I was looking at showing you some of my past work. But this what if is so important for me to get to those 
weird and strange and sometimes really effective ideas is saying, okay, I hear you. What if we did this? What if that? What if we took this and it looked like that? What if the lettering became similar to the object that the main object you're trying to sell and it's the only object you're going to sell for the next 20 years because it's pretzels or it's fishing lures or I don't know, whatever. But the what ifs, just keep asking, what if we did this? And the context around that too is be playful with it. Don't get locked into that business mentality like everything I ask about has to have this business context or this framed in something that we've already talked about. Be willing to be a little radical, maybe a little dangerous and rebellious and even silly. And again, playful with the questions that you're asking and the things you're thinking about. The other thing that I would add to that, the what if questions, in the context of being playful and open to new things is please stop using Instagram and Pinterest for those visual inspiration boards. If you're looking at someone else else's imagination execution. You will never fully flush out and release your own imagination. I got to say that twice. If you're staring at somebody else's results, the results of their imagination, you will never flex the muscles of your own ever in the way that you really should. So you've got, we, me too, we've got to stop looking at external finished things as saying, I'm not saying they're all wrong. I'm just saying it's not going to be the best you probably. And what Diane said about, was it Andre who worked in a different field? That's a really relevant point here. I draw from tons of travel experience and reading and looking at things that are not design related that inform design ultimately in the work that I do. It's so critical. I can babble on about that, but I'll stop there. That's the quick, that's the briefest possible way I think I could tell you how to approach getting to ideas, how I do it. Okay, awesome. Is that your, can you stop your screen share? Yeah, thing? enough of this stuff. I want to see you in non-Star Wars if possible. The Star Wars, and that camera, ammo. Okay. Hooray, we, go. we got hey, you back. Gone. That was great. Okay, so I took a lot of notes and I totally agree. It's if you're on a date, and you just really want to talk about yourself, you're probably not going to be a very good date and you're probably not going to get a second date. So again, if you're about somebody else, if you're the designer and you're trying to get to know somebody else instead of you're trying to sell them on you, you don't have to sell them on you. You need to ask the questions to them so that they know you care. And Mario is here. He started my camp off and he talked about, you guys should be friends, by the way, you and Mario. He said he his, I can't remember what the title was begin at the beginning, but he said it was, it was open, uh, full, heart, empty head, or empty head. Anyway, whatever. I can't remember exactly. Sorry, uh, Mario. But that was the concept, right? It was the, that you come in with an empty, you don't do the Google searches. Oh yeah. Full heart, empty head. Thank you, Jacob. And that you come in and you're ready to ask the questions. You're ready to love on them. And you have this full empathy, ready to just ask and read them because you need to read their body language. And I had a client yesterday who I met with and she's, are you just so sick of Zoom? And I'm like, no. And I'm, I guess because this is it. This is how I'm connecting with people. So I am not sick of it. Like I am, I understand I would like to be in person with people, but she lives in North Carolina. I'm never, I'm not that I'm never going to North Carolina, but sister lives there, but I'm not going up there to meet with her anyway. So I would, we would always be, and I said that to her, I said, but you know what, Megan, we would always be meeting like this. She's like, you're right. I think it's just we we so want to make sure that we're communicating what we're trying to get out. And I think us as designers, even in something like this, we have to be ready to just listen. And anyway, so now it's my turn to listen to you more because I got more questions. I didn't okay. need to ramble on. All right. So you talked about this already, but why do you think that you connect 
you personally, you Dylan, for your business, you connect with those lone cowboys, the independent spirits and the people who are in those bigger businesses and the corporations that are going against the tide. And how do those people find you? I think the people that connect with me, they, they see the work and they see there's something. I don't think people come to me and go, wow, let's do something weird. I think the keyword is different. I think that's really important. They really do. Maybe here's a better way to, to see it. This is I've never done poll research of clients, as I probably should. But there's a consistent thread from the conversations I've had where they understand that they are saturated with communication. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to compute that, what I just said. we all Everybody listening to this understands that. So it's so important for the people that we work with, these conversations and what comes out of that is, is again, another consistent thread of something so base as, as humans. They want to be seen and they want to be heard. And so my responsibility to them is to do everything I can to cut the clutter out of that visual communication that we're building. Be very purposeful about every single thing we make. I've said this for years to other designers as I've mentored or hired and fired and all that. I say, when you show me a design, you should be able to give me a rational, logical reason for every single decision on that page, everything. Every space, every letter, every style of letter, every illustration choice, the composition, space between things, all of that should have a reason behind it. And if you can't give me that reason, then don't show it to me. And it sounds like I'm being a super hardball, but what it does is it, it not only helps sell the work through to clients. Again, we're not just making, we're not just designing things and saying, I think this is cool. Cool is irrelevant. When I show a client something, I want them to know why we did it. And I want them to understand that we're doing everything we can to make sound, logical design decisions for them so that the thing that's on that page or that screen is doing the most possible work to communicate the message as quickly and clearly as possible. I'm rambling there. So question. I love that. Dylan, with that, I run into this a lot in school. Kids are like, I don't want to tell you. I don't know why I did it. I just did it because I like it. And I'm like, that's not a good reason. You need to be analyze it. And it's not because you don't need to trust your gut. Like I totally trust Fabio. He totally could do whatever I, and I know he could do it. But I would love for him to be able to ease the client in any of their apprehension or somebody else higher up, bigger organization, you have to have reasons for things. And if it all goes together, just like the Draplin piece, you had all these pieces that went together. It makes it easier to sell, especially if it's odd or if it's different. Mm -hmm. Now it has a reason and it's not just a gut trust me. It's no, like I want to know what's in this sandwich because I'm allergic to shrimp. I'm not, but I don't like shrimp. But like, I I want to know if I was, because I don't want somebody to be like, oh, you'll love it. And I'm like, does it have mayonnaise on it? I'm not going to love it. Mayonnaise touched it. I don't want it. So it's kind of, no, don't tell me just to eat something or to just love your idea and trust you. There's still some apprehension. So it gives them a trust. It gives them really solid bridge foundation, metal bridge foundation instead of a tightrope shaky bridge. Yeah. I guess to be really clear here, I hope more clear. I did a traditional design background. Visual communication was what it was called from the local college here. And I really appreciate that instruction because I still use all that instruction. 
I know other people, again, I'll speak about Jeremy Slagle. And Jeremy is a, has a, is a master of teaching himself and looking for what those rules, and there are rules. I think the thing that's troubling for some folks is they think it's cool for you, but not for me, or there's this very subjective uh, approach to design. And I think that has really hurt our industry. I think the reality, I don't think, the reality is design has rules behind it. And there are, again, look, there's a lot of things that are subjective about design. When we establish color systems for people, and if they don't, if there's, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, it's going to waste a bunch of time. But in most scenarios, we have every reason to apply sound design principles to the things that we make, objective principles. That's why we ask all the questions. The things that we deliver are answering the questions. They're solving the problem that's been expressed by that business owner or by that whoever's driving this thing. I'll put it differently and it may be a little more harsh. I, I will not work with someone design-wise if they don't understand the rules. Or if, they're, or if they're unwilling to learn the rules and they're in a mode of what I do is cool for me, but not for you. I need to know that you understand the rules. The thing is about the rules is, and what's fun about the rules, believe it or not, as strict as I sound through all this, is once you've heard this before, once you know the rules, then you know how to break the rules. That's the fun part of being a designer is knowing where you can bend. You go, yeah, I know the spacing should be like this, but we're going to go ahead and break that rule because it's going to create something visual that will interrupt what somebody expects. And again, I'm just speaking off the cuff here, but it's re- that's why knowing the rules is so important. Thanks. So Paul has a couple things I want to bring out. He says, or is the reason? And Paul has his doctorate in physics, and nice. but he left I'm physics out. to be a designer. So I just love Paul. I love Paul's story. So he says, or is the reason just a justification for what has already been learned by trial and error over the years? I definitely think that has to do with business and people and everything. But then he says, what I wonder is which comes first, the reason or the inspiration? Do you want to answer that one? Ooh. I know, Paul said. Swing that hammer, man. It's a great question. I don't think there's a fast answer to that. Which comes first, the reason or the inspiration? Don't you think sometimes it's you have to just be living, you have to be out doing, and sometimes it's going to be the inspiration and sometimes it's going to be the reason, or you might have an idea a long time ago, but you haven't put it to anything because you haven't found the right shoe to fit. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's, that's a great question, Paul. I get here's uh, one thing that comes to mind. And maybe it may be better to ask a question back to Paul. When I hear you ask about, when I hear you use the word inspiration, I think about the word emotion, which I don't think is the exact same thing. I, I think I'm throwing you off course there when I bring that up. But let me just say it. I, when we design things for clients, I think it's really important, again, to know the rules, know when to break the rules, have this formal stuff in place that you can sell it through and go, look, I'm going to tell you exactly why every single pixel is on that screen and why it's, why it's there or why it shouldn't be there or whatever. One of the hardest things we can do is then find the emotional angle to that thing. Maybe it's the photograph that's used or the the typography might lend in a more emotional, softer tone that's really necessary for this piece. Is that stuff part of the rule book? Maybe. Yes, you can apply rules to some of these things, but there's this emotional thing that's a lot harder to grab. It's truly a slick snotty fish. And so to be honest, that I think is actually the hardest part of the job for me is to get out of my own head, which is full of the rules, even when I know how to break them and ask myself two things. Can I step back from designing something that's going to appear fairly masculine? That's just a fault of being a a male, but it's a thing that I struggle with, even with typography, illustration. Does this look at this piece and I go, this is a thing that I could draw this way, but does the client need this to work? We've been asking questions and answering questions. And if I draw this in a very masculine way, it's way off target. That's just me serving me. So do I need to back off of that? And then with that, what ways can I deliver this with color, 
with style, with texture, a lack of texture, with content, that, with the words used that bring more emotion into the piece, not just delivering on the rules of good design, but what can we do to, to bend into that emotional equipment that stops people? I'll give, you, I'll give you an example that I, it's going to be hard for me to say this without getting teary, but I'm going to tell you this quick story. One of the last things I did in corporate America, corporate advertising was a, a huge video shoot for a client and it was cancer related. So we had these patients come in and God, I can't believe I'm going to tell a story. This is rough. All right, I'll just tell it. So we had a lot of different patients come in. They were all survivors. And one of the patient sets happened to be a mother and daughter who had both gone through chemo together. Okay. So we're doing this, we're doing this video shoot. And at first we had a very strict script and I said, can we skip the script and just make it a little more organic in terms of the conversation? And I, I'm, I'm the one asking questions in the video and, and not on screen, it's just them. And so the only thing that we scripted between the mother and daughter, we filmed the daughter first and we said, hey, to the daughter, we said, when your mom's done, when, she, when you hear this question, go on around the back of the set. And as she answers it, just come up and give her a hug because they were just so close. And we wanted to just show that in the most natural way we could. Give your mom a hug. She goes, sure, I'd love to. And she does that and says, oh, it's my cancer buddy. And she puts her arm on her daughter and we just lost it on the set. I don't even want to tell the rest of the story because I'm not going to be able to hold it together. It doesn't end well. And that's why it's really hard to tell the story. The daughter passed away. She got cancer again and she passed away a couple years later. And it was just a wrenching experience because we we'd had a relationship with these folks to make that piece. And yet, I guess what I'm trying to say to you guys is you can write scripts, you can do all these things that play by the rules. And yet sometimes when you, I don't know how to say this, I mean, when you just let go of some of those rules and just try to keep things natural and try to let the human side of things come through, some beautiful things can happen from that. And yeah, I'll stop there, but Maybe knowing when to be courageous and when to let down the rules. It's just like you said, you have to know the rules to break the rules. That sounds like an amazing piece. It does sound like it would have been hard, but I think it's about that's what you, you wanted to bring people into their story so that they would give for cancer research so that they felt connected to those two ladies. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this much. When, when the daughter was in hospice care, I went to see her and the mom was at the opposite end of the hallway and I walked in and she said, Dylan, and she, arms were out and she lost and I'm just standing there just losing it. And we were just making an ad. But yeah, that human connection thing is just more powerful than we can put any sort of ad script to. But it's because you saw what their message was important and because they felt seen and heard, she felt a connection. And because what you're doing made a difference and you were trying to make the world better and it wasn't just, it meant something. And I think that's yeah. what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to just be robots, right? Sure. Jason Carn has a question. I want to read it. It's not a teary question. I don't Okay, think. good. Okay. No, it was great. I'm glad. And I cried. I have tissues. I'd hand one to you if we could do that. All right. So Jason says, what would you say about the design that was done with no real rules rules in mind that ends up being iconic or successful, primarily successful in air quotes, primarily because the feeling that it evokes, for example, the never mind the bollocks art for the sex pistols. Do you think it was just dumb luck or is there a bit of benefit of being naive to the rules sometimes? Yeah, great example. For those of you guys that don't know what that is, the Nevermind the Bullocks cover was uh, truly iconic. And uh, it's a great example. Music is such a great way to frame this conversation. I think when I think about that as an example and others like that in music, for me that yeah, there's a, there's so much emotion and urgency and rawness in that execution that that's what they got. And I, I wonder if I, I'm going to, I don't know the history of that, Jason, I'd, I'd love to hear it, but I'm guessing that 
no, there were no research panels. There were no multiple stakeholders that that was a person just, there was a lot of passion and emotion that went into the creation of that thing. And it just rocked literally in every right way, every piston firing on that thing. And Jason, am I, am I even getting close to what you're asking? So I did share a link. If you guys don't know what the cover looks like, I shared it. So while we wait for Jason's answer, I'm going to, so Hannah had a question that kind of goes with one of the questions at the very end is what inspires you? So she said, so where do you go for inspiration? Again, think about somebody who's in that corporate scene or they can't get out nobody can travel now because you said you got some from traveling. But I think that there's lots of other ways that you can find inspiration. What are some ways you do? Yeah, two quick things to share. One is that I I still get on my bicycle a lot. My wife and I ride bicycles a lot and we walk together a lot. And as mundane as those two things might sound, the advantage of that, especially walking or, or even running, which we do all three, the advantage is that you are at that slower pace. And so the exercise there, again, as mundane as it might sound, the exercise is to just be observed around you. So simple question you can ask yourself. When I go for this walk, I want to find three things that I have. I want to see three things that I haven't seen before, assuming that you're probably walking in your neighborhood or someplace you've been before. When I go on this ride, I just want to look for things I haven't seen before. You will see them. I see houses around my neighborhood I haven't seen in six years because I'm just looking a little bit harder. So that's one way. The other way from a hands-on perspective is to pick up some new material that you haven't used before. And that could be some medium. It could be Maybe you sport for some piece of equipment that you've never used before. Maybe it's a laser cutter. Maybe it's uh, Jeremy Slagle and I, he turned me on to mess around with leather last year. It was a year before. And he, he, he made some leather journals and we were playing around with that. But just getting your hands on a different material like that, maybe as, as again, as cliche as it sounds, maybe it's a watercolor set, a cheap one. I don't know, but I think there's something really valuable to getting your hands into something that is uh, tactile, textural, different unexpected and just play with it. I think you'll, I, I'd like to think you're going to find some benefit to that. Okay. I know it's been true for me. I tell you quickly, this is how the business started for me. I was in my garage drawing on the walls and having so much fun, not thinking about what I was drawing. I was just drawing for drawing sake. And I did this whole mural about the apocalypse and Bigfoot and flying saucers and the end of the world. And my wife came out at uh, very late in the evening, realizing I hadn't had dinner. I'm standing there, nothing but a pair of shorts. It's a hot summer night on a Friday night. And she saw the look on my face and she knew. I get another story I tell where I get all choked up, but something clicked that night and started to change my way of thinking about what I was going to do with the rest of my career. How long into, how long after that moment did you go out on your own? Uh, about a year later. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Mr. Former military rules guy started marching to the step. Okay. Emotional moment aside. Now what do I do from a step standpoint to get things in place? Buy the URL, establish the LLC and all that stuff. I started putting those things in motion and about a year later, I, I made the jump. That's cool. All right. So we have an answer. Here's Jason yeah. and then Mark. Mark Bowden did a little bit more research so that everybody can know the rest of the story. I feel like Paul Harvey here, people. Oh, so Jason says, yeah, it's wrong, in quotes, in every way, but that's also the charm of it. But, he says in all caps, I don't think they necessarily knew they were breaking the rules. I think it was out of necessity, necessity, and as you said, urgency. So while it's sloppy, it matches the music perfectly and gives you a great idea of what you're going to hear. The Mark says, I love this, according to their manager, Malcolm McLaren, which I love that he gave the whole thing. We came up with the ugliest cover we could think of that, in a sense, would attack the idea of super graphics. I wanted to make ugliness beautiful. Yeah, another thing I think I would add to all that is that 
Look at the amount of restraint. And this is another tenet that I think is so important, especially in the sea of noise that we are all in. And, and when we're designing things for people, we are, we are often in the mode of, I need to add this thing. Or the client will say, we really need to say this extra thing. And you realize, actually, you don't. Tell me one thing clearly. And that's all we need to do with this exercise. That's restraint. And it's hard. But if you can do it, you're going to have pieces that are going to communicate a lot more clearly. Look, and you look at this cover for uh, the Bullocks or the Sex Pistols, and that is a ridiculous amount of restraint, two, three colors. And it also breaks rules like tons of typefaces, not the two typeface rule. It breaks all kinds of rules, and it works great. And it's crazy simple. So I love it. It's a great example. I'm, I'm glad Jason brought it up. Me too. All right, Dylan, we're out of time, and we yeah. got no questions answered, so we'll just have to have you back on to do a part two. Although I loved what you talked about, and I think we had a good conversation. The questions are just no idea for us. But I did have some I really wanted you to dig into, so maybe we'll do a part two, and we'll put okay. it on Patreon. So is that sound, or we can just schedule another one maybe in December. Anyway, right. I want to share, so you guys know how to follow Dylan and how to get in touch with Dylan. You can tell him if you want while I put it in the chat. Yeah, we are spending the next two weeks getting a new website up. Really? How many podcasts have I said that on in the last two years? Mengus.design is the website. If you go now, don't because it sucks. We're going to change it. Meanwhile, I'm on Instagram and uh, taking a break from that for a month. But uh, Instagram is at Mengus Design, M-E-N-G-E-S. And it will also be underneath. So if you guys have any you want to connect with them that's probably the best way is dm him there tell him what else i will get the rest of these questions answered because i think that it's important but i love what you said so i love about the listening i love about asking i also love i think you alluded to this in the beginning you said ask but know that you don't have to know the answers. And also you don't have to know the next question. You may have an idea of the questions you want to ask or some general questions, but it should be, it's really about, this is where your people skills come in. And if you think that you, this isn't your best skill, how do you think you developed your people skills, Dylan? The hard way. Like how? Seriously, I I had good mentors that said, called me out on not listening well, or I was in conversations and realizing I was in a position to ask the right question, but I wasn't listening carefully enough. And so I bungled the conversation or I bungled the interview. That's how you learn the hard way. And that sucks, but that's either you grow, you're either growing or dying. And that's, you, you can come out of that and say, I'm going to do better or not. So do you think that you've had friendships or you've been, had mentors that really, that you had for longer periods of time that you were able to, they, you felt like they would call you out or hold your feet to the fire or. Yeah, I have. I've had a few people in my life and I would suggest to folks listening that if you can find a couple, three people in your life, if you have a spouse, sure. That's obviously the number one. But in addition to that, if you can find some people that can objectively hang out with you and objectively say, I know you're saying this, but I'm not really convinced that this may be the healthiest approach. Whatever the issue is, find people that are willing to speak into your life and be honest with you about things. Whether design's a great place to find that mentor, but also outside of that too. If you can find one person like that, and, and part of that is just being willing, obviously being willing to be vulnerable and nobody likes that, but that's part of the deal. It's how you grow, whatever that's worth. So I love that. So Hannah also has a question. Do you have any more of the good evil skateboard decks? 
Yes, Hannah, we do. Actually, yeah, we do. There's, I think I've got four that haven't been purchased back here. How would like, she go about purchasing or just DM you on Instagram? If you, best way to get a hold of me right now is email me to anybody, dylan at mangus.design. And so, yes, I have skate decks. I'll be honest, the fulfillment is a hassle for me right now. I'm trying to get some other things done. Love to get one to somebody. The shipping is not cheap, but yeah, just email me. Dylan, thank you so much for doing this with me and thank you for every... Brian says, do you have any completes? I don't. Link? So just to be clear, these are meant to be wall hangers. These are not meant to be ridden because I charged a hundred bucks for them. They're, we only did 10 boards. And if you go on my Instagram, there's a picture over here to my side, the side of one hanging on the wall. That's how I intend them to be as art pieces. So that's why they're, again, super limited run, higher price. So Hannah, who you might have also met at Creative South, she's in Washington, D.C. She says, so many great thoughts, Dylan, thoughts today. Dylan, you were one of my favorite professors when I was studying design at Cedar. Oh, hi. Hannah. Oh, that's great. Cedarville. Woo. There's that's for part three or part two or whatever we're doing. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Hey, I want to let you know next week is my friend Henry. If you are at camp, we're going to dig into a little bit deeper about the being waiting for someone to qualify you or you being the person who does the qualified. Dylan's like fading in and out with his thing, his new little toy. No, it's totally fine. I was just saying what the name of it was. I don't care. I'm happy. Look, we got 21 people still here. Obviously, they like your shenanigans. Thank you to everybody that came today. I really appreciate it. It's always fun hanging out with you, Diane. It's always fun hanging out with you. All right, guys, we'll see you next week with Henry Kaminsky Jr. He's going to bring it. He talks fast and he has some really great perspective. He has an awesome story. I can't wait to introduce you guys to Henry and we'll see you next week. Dylan, thank you. And we have so many more questions. Dylan, thank you. And we have so many more questions.